0: So check this out, right? What is 17 multiplied by 4? The answer, 68. What does 68 have to do with what I'm talking about right now? This is the 68th episode of the State of the MF and Universe. Welcome to the show. Today on the show, we feature the great Nathan Stewart. For those of you who don't know Nate, one of my top 17 or 18 best friends and he is an operations planning flight controller at NASA's Johnson Space Center. What does that mean? I like to imagine it means he steers the ISS. That's not what it actually means. I don't think you can steer the ISS. I like to believe he sits in a room and he has his hands on controls and he steers the ISS around like a little drone. I don't think that's how it works, frankly. And also, I don't think that they would trust him to steer the ISS. I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust anyone to steer the ISS. I wouldn't trust me to steer the ISS. I'd I'd doze off driving a car. I'm not going to steer the goddamn ISS. Anyway, man, welcome to the show. Glad you tuned in. Episode 68, that's insane. A few weeks ago on the show, I had the great spaceflight historian, Dr. David Fisher. In that episode, we got onto a topic of spaceflight rituals. Now, a ton of people reached out and had other spaceflight rituals they were interested in hearing about. So... I posed the idea to Nate, who is very much ingrained in all spaceflight culture, and by the way, I should say, anything he says in the episode, it's not NASA's words, which isn't that obvious. Did you see NASA say those words? No, you saw Nate say the words. So, it's not NASA's words, it's Nate's words. It's not NASA's beliefs, it's Nate's beliefs. Did you understand? Is that clear? Does that make sense? Do I need to break it down further for you? It is not what the government of the United States believes. When Nathan says, Brendan, I like Pringles. It doesn't mean NASA loves Pringles. Is that clear? Does that make sense? I don't understand why that even has to be said, but I'm saying it, and I'm saying it, okay? That way Nate doesn't get murdered or whatever will happen if I don't say it. Anyway, thanks for tuning into the show. We talk about spaceflight rituals. What rituals exist for the Russians, for the Americans, that dictate The types of things we do in spaceflight, what are the weird things that humans do before a launch, after a launch, during a launch? What do we do? And it turns out there's a ton of them that people do some weird shit that people do and have done for decades. And Nate breaks it all down for us. And some of it, he might see firsthand. Please support the Patreon. You get all bunch of gifts, you get all bunch of stuff, you get a bunch of things, you get a bunch of goods. Give me a dollar a month, two dollars a month, a hundred dollars a month, fifty cents a month. I don't care give me no dollars a month and just reach out and tell me you love me that works email me go to my website fill out a little contact form do what you got to do support the paypal okay show costs money show takes money to make i invest in the show i invest in putting scientific information into your eardrums so maybe you should if you love the show consider putting some of it back into my eardrums rate the show five stars on apple podcast just do it do you see how i'm t- talk i'm hype right now One time I had a dude on YouTube comment and say, leave the amphetamines alone. Now that means one of two things. Number one, he thinks I'm an amphetamine trafficker. He thinks I'm an amphetamine trafficker. I'm not. Okay, guy? I'm not. And I think his name is Ronald. I'm not. Number two, he thinks I'm on amphetamines. That's why I'm hype. I'm not on amphetamines. I wish I was because then I would have everything done in one day that it takes me a week to do. Do I wish, sometimes secretly, that I was on cocaine so that I could get all of the things I need to be done in one day that actually takes me two weeks to do? Yes. Am I? No. But all I'm saying is this. If a doctor out there is willing to sign this, you know, write a prescription for Adderall or something for me and mail it to me in the mail, it's possible I'll cash out on it. It's possible I'll take it to the CVS. That's all I'm saying. All right? I'm not saying anything dangerous here. So you leave the amphetamines alone, Ronald. Anyway, join the mailing list, thestateoftheuniverse.com. Every single time we do a giveaway, if you're on the mailing list, you're you're eligible. It's simple. It's easy. Just do it. Okay? Anyway, thank you for listening. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Are you learning how to fly a plane? No. No, my friends... Yeah,
1: my friends go into the Air Force, uh... Like a week, and so he wanted to take us up before. No, I'm what not What is I'm like a protocol
0: for that? Like, can you just did he fly off of like a?
1: Yeah, it's like a little private airport down here, and, and he just like reserved a plane for a time, and then didn't fly it. <laughs>
0: is there like TSA for that?
1: No, we just walked, and we didn't even talk. Really? I didn't even talk to anybody. I just parked and walked through the fence,
0: and I was in a plane. That's crazy. That's so interesting. I
1: have to like get permission to walk out here, and he's like, "No,
0: it's fine." But you had your hands on the little on the little knobs. Yeah, he let us. He let us take
1: the controls, and you know, I don't even know what you call it—the <laughs> steering wheel
0: thing, the stick. So when um, you're up there, like, is there what is what does a person actually do in the plane? Anything other than steer it? Oh uh, well
1: he was there was a lot. He had like um the throttle and he was, you know, giving it more power and less power and when he was coming in for landing, there's like all these flaps and stuff he had to set. Um and you're really like reporting on the radio, like your position and stuff, and if you're coming in for a landing on a runway. He was doing a lot. He just let us when it was like cruising, he just let us take the controls and you know, do some turns and, and y'all the plane and whatnot,
0: man, I want to, I think I want to learn how to fly, but that shit scares me so bad.
1: It was really cool. I think it's really expensive though.
0: So oh yeah. I was I just about to say, part. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like flying is like rich white people type stuff. It's like golf. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, like I got the white part down, but I don't got the rich part down. Yeah. I'm still, so I'm still working on that. I got to work on maybe, that. And maybe in 20 years. I was talking to, Doc, on, my, on my recent episode, I was talking to David Fisher about um, flying like spacecraft, space mm-hmm. shuttles, that sort of thing. And he was saying that he is fearful of the future when that process becomes fully automated and there's no need for a pilot anymore. Okay. Right? So do you see that happening? Do you see well, the pilots becoming less and less important in the future? So, yes.
1: So we're trying to automate spacecraft as much as we can. The astronauts don't do a whole lot of flying right now. Um, the ISS is commanded almost entirely from the ground. And um, the only time that they really do anything is when they're launching. And, yeah, for when they're launching in the capsule. When they're landing, you know, they're just in that capsule falling back to Earth. There's not a whole lot to do. Um, right. The space shuttle obviously had a lot more piloting aspects, but for craft that are going to go to the moon and to Mars, we want them to be much more um, automated because you can't really control something from the ground if, you know, Mars's is, Mars's is, um the latency is like 8 minutes, you know,
0: yeah, command right, uh-huh. to, get
1: to Mars. So you can't really be working on an 8 an 8 or 16 minute delay uh, to try and fly something from Earth.
0: Right. But I mean the actual pilot on board, though, you know, in the future, we're going to have pilots on board um, when we eventually start putting men back on the moon and and women. And we eventually start putting people back on Mars, not back on Mars, but for the first huh. time, you know, we're going to have. We've already been to Mars. We, just we have already been it. to Mars. Mars is fake. I recently. <laughs> That's true. I recently did an interview where people were talking to me about how space is fake. And I was like, like, do you realize how many people have to be in on that? You know? <laughs> Because I was, it I was, would it really, me a lot of money to keep up this line. Yes, there's okay. I work with just probably 70 people at my university alone, and pretty much all of us are working on different data sets. So someone would have to go out there and manufacture like literally 10 billion different data sets. They would have to like come up with them. They would have to. I don't know what. I don't know how they would do it. They would have to. Or we're all in on it, and we all are. You know, not the acknowledging. The answers are all on YouTube. I'm sure there's a YouTube video out there that explains it. There probably is. And, you know, you're way deeper now. You're way deeper in the shill game. Yeah. You're a certified – I got the NASA badge behind me. You're a certified NASA (laughs) shill.
1: I'm a certified NASA shill, yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you even get paid by them. So that's like, you know, next-level shilling. I don't get paid yet. I'm I'm hoping I get like a check or something eventually. Because I do do a lot of NASA shows. It's coming.
1: I, I actually saw them processing your check on Friday. Oh, good. So it, so, it should be okay. in sometime
0: next week. Yep, 18 business days. So I should yeah. get it by 2023. Yes. Um, all right, sounds good. Now, the reason I have you here, Nate, is because I had Dr. David Fisher on at the beginning of the month, and he's a spaceflight historian. And at the end of the show, I, I, I do – I tried to mix up the interviews, and one of the things I did was I showed him a few pictures that had been circulating, and I wanted him to explain them. And it turned out that almost all the pictures I showed him and he explained had something to do with a ritual or, or um, something that astronauts do before, during, during or after a launch. And I thought it was incredibly interesting, so I reached out to you because you're obviously you know, ingrained in the spaceflight culture um, <laughs> working for NASA – so you you know about some of these things and you probably see some of these things firsthand or you will see some of these things firsthand. So I want to get you on to talk about it. Because yeah. it's one of the more interesting things to me, um, how ritualistic spaceflight seems.
1: Yeah, it is it is really interesting how many rituals um and traditions there are because you think about spaceflight and you're like, oh, it's so logical, you know, and it's engineering and math and like cold hard logic. But uh there's a lot I mean People are people, you know, people are superstitious. People like traditions. Um, it's something that kind of brings you into yeah, that
0: culture. We're going to talk about a lot of them here in a second, but I, I'm just curious from your perspective. Do you, do you think a lot of it is actual superstition or do you think at this point it's just like fun traditions? I
1: think a lot of it is more fun traditions. Um, some of it I think, especially on the Russian side, is probably actual superstition. They seem to be more superstitious uh, than we are. But a lot of it, I think, is just sort of, you know, astronauts are, a, are, it's a really small select group of people. And so I think it's a way to kind of bring everyone in. And, you know, the crew has to be close with each other. And it's a, it's a way to kind of foster that community and that sense of belonging.
0: I right. Think, so you, you mentioned the Russians and how superstitious they are. When yeah. I had David Fisher on, he was telling me, he's like, he was saying that a lot of the U.S. superstitions or rituals, they, they're not like, abided by it's not it's it's almost like it's not a necessity to abide by them right mm-hmm. um people are more loose this is what he was telling me in the way that americans sort of abide by the rituals and traditions of space flight and we'll talk about those later but he was saying that on the russian side it is treated as like an essential aspect <laughs> of the flight itself. yeah it's
1: it's basically a checklist item before you can go up you have to you have to do all these uh these things these little traditions they have
0: yeah so can we begin to sort of walk through the Russian aspects of of the things that they do before launch. Yeah, yeah. So one of the first things, um,
1: and I should point out that I am not an expert on these, um, and I haven't gotten to witness many of these, but I've heard well, about them secondhand. And uh, so if if I'm wrong on any of this, you listeners, please don't send us angry emails. Uh, or we do to, we'll try? Yeah, or whatever. Or we'll, do we'll, we'll read yeah. them on the next podcast and laugh at you.
0: Yes. <laughs> No, it, oh, here's the thing though. No one's an expert on this stuff, right? Yeah. This isn't something you can have an expert. There's a on. couple hundred
1: people that are experts, and they're all astronauts. Yeah. Or astronauts.
0: Right. So like, you know, um, the, and a lot of it is is probably, I don't want to say private, but it's it's not uber publicized. Um. Yeah. And for good reason because you don't want to give this impression that like you have some weird cult where <laughs> you have to like eat bacon <laughs> to get indoctrinated into spaceflight. Yeah. Flight. Um. Yeah. No, That wouldn't help the conspiracy theories at all. Right, of course. So on on the Russian side, where do we start? What are the Russians? So so one of the more general things
1: is they're never going to schedule a launch for October 24th. It's kind of like a black day. You're not going to schedule anything. Uh, They had two accidents in the 60s um, where they had missiles blow up. They had one blow up on the pad and one blow up in the silo, and they each killed um, members of the ground crew. The one killed, I think, like 90-some members of the ground crew. Which is kind of obscene to think about. That's insane. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. But that's 1960s, I guess, uh-huh. you know, early days of spaceflight, Wild West. Um, and so yeah, they both happened on the October 24th. So they don't they don't schedule launches for that day. So if you're gonna fly out of out of uh, Kazakhstan out of Baikonur, you're not gonna you're not gonna fly on October 24th.
0: Um, so but, you okay in in 1960, though, that's the one that killed the 90 or so people. Yeah. When, it, when you say blew up on the pad, what do you know exactly what happened? Um, I would it like guess it was
1: launch? it was probably fueling. It was that's usually when rockets blow up on the pad is, is during the fueling
0: process. But I don't know. I don't mm. know for sure what happened. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> in my mind, you're an expert and you're I'm, wonderful. I'm an
1: expert on how to plan days for ISS crew members. That I would call myself almost an expert in.
0: Do you pencil in their bathroom breaks?
1: We do not schedule bathroom breaks for them, and uh, sometimes they get really annoyed by that.
0: You get annoyed by it? Why? Because it messes up. They get
1: annoyed by it because oh, we'll have them doing like like a four hour block from activity to activity to activity, and um, yeah, sometimes they don't they don't get a chance to go to the bathroom and for a like, while.
0: Dude, I just gotta take a piss. Come on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and then if they you know take time to if we have them you know in like the gym or something, which is further away from the the toilet. You know, and then we have an activity and they're going to the Columbus module. They don't get a chance to, like, go past the toilet while they're doing this. So they have to go out of oh, the way. Yeah. And then they end up, you know,
0: 10 minutes behind on their activity and it snowballs throughout the day. Can't they just, like, pee into, like, a, like a corner and in the in the water will just kind of <laughs> hang out there? That's, that is not how it works. <laughs> and a, they can scoop it up later. It would
1: be a very bad day if they did that.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, shout out to the astronauts for not doing that. Um, <laughs> love you guys. Anyway, okay, so we don't schedule flights for October 24th. Is there any dates in American history where we're like a little, a little wary of that date?
1: Um, you know, not that I'm aware of. I do think Apollo 13 launched on Friday the
0: 13th, though. Yeah, and it was number 13, and that's interesting 13, to bring that man. up because I'm gonna have a guy on the podcast tomorrow, actually I interview him, and we're gonna talk about. That's one of the things we're gonna talk about is that particular, um. Because that is an example of like anti anti-scienceism mm-hmm. in the history of America. We have tons of them and that's one of them we were very superstitious about that particular launch according to him I'll get more information tomorrow but yeah um, no that's a really interesting one that you point out. yeah so
1: I don't think there's any like <laughs> I don't think there's any like flight rule that says don't launch on Friday the 13th but I would guess that they probably try to not schedule for Friday the 13th.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a public opinion it, – it, it's kind of like a public perception thing too, right? Yeah. Because, wanna... of course,
1: if something goes wrong, people are going to be like, why would you schedule for Friday the 13th? to ask asking right. for trouble. Yeah. You know, like,
0: uh-huh. yeah. You're going
1: to get that public opinion. You're
0: asking for trouble, yeah, some yeah. white dude in Pennsylvania, yep, <laughs> <laughs> with a Steelers hat on. You're asking for trouble, man. Oh, Let's bash the Steelers. Yep, I'm all about things happening in Fly right? eagles fly. That's what I'll say, yep. <laughs> um. Anyhow, so okay. after – so, no, yeah. you don't schedule moving on too Yeah, moving along.
1: So, one of the big things is you always have to pay respects to Yuri Gagarin, who was the first man ever, the first human ever in space. Um, and he was Russian. And so, uh, Yuri Gagarin did not die during a spaceflight, but he died, uh, while piloting a plane in like, oh, I was like 1968 or 1969, sometime around there. And so, um, mission control for, uh, Russia, for Moscow, is, is located in Moscow, and they have uh, a memorial wall which commemorates Yuri Gagarin and other um, other cosmonauts that have died while carrying out their space missions. And so the first thing you'll do when you go over is you'll, you'll go to that wall and you'll pay your respects, and they often leave red carnations uh, at the wall. And then they go and they visit his office, which has actually been preserved almost as a shrine, a memorial to him, mm-hmm. since his death. So... I think it's a similar thing. Isn't it doesn't. Didn't they deal with like Einstein's office where? They, yeah, I was going to say that. I anything. think they
0: did that with Einstein's office in at Princeton, maybe. At Princeton, yeah. Yeah, I would like so, to go see that actually. That's kind of that would cool. be cool. Yeah, Princeton. Yeah, you're not that far away. Let's make I a mean, trip to Princeton. It's like seven hours, but Dude, closer in Texas than you. Speak, that
1: is right next door.
0: In Texas speak, you can <laughs> shut your mouth. How's that sound? <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. so <laughs>
1: So then they go to his office and uh, and again you know pay their respects and they he has a guest there's a guest book there and they sign they sign their name in the guest book at the office and then they mm-hmm. actually ask his ghost for permission to to fly the mission and kind of like get his
0: blessing yeah uh, from the spirit this is something interesting to me is when I hear stuff like sign his guest book right obviously there's a limited number of spaces in a guest book <laughs> I'm guessing the
1: guest book has been replaced over the years.
0: I'm yeah,
1: guessing well, that part has not been untouched.
0: Right. But, you know, this is a question about all the all of these rituals that, we're, you know, we'll, we'll, we've already talked about and we will talk about. Mm-hmm. It's like space flights eventually going to become way more prevalent than it is now, right? We're going to be putting hundreds of people probably into space per year, Um, you know, talking in the next few decades. It's, it's going to be weird to uphold things like I this. I think a lot of right? these
1: things will go by the wayside once it becomes more common. Right. Uh, you know, this is this is something you can really only do when it's a small, select group of people doing it fairly infrequently. Right. Right. Once you know, once we have you know a hundred people launching every day, like like uh, what's that movie from the nineties where um oh
0: don't ask me contact
1: no not contact man it's the one where the guys like you can edit their genes and so he doesn't have the right genes and then he pretends to be this other guy.
0: <laughs> oh that's the least helpful thing I've ever heard. Okay. You talking <laughs> about Forrest Gump? Are you talking about yeah. Forrest
1: Gump? No. Okay, man. Okay, let's pause the podcast. And what is it? Gattaca. Gattaca. That's what it is. Gattaca? So he okay. He works at NASA, and they're just like launching rockets constantly every day in Gattaca. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So now so we when have that much- when that becomes a reality, probably these these rituals might fall. Maybe not on the Russian side, though. You know, I, if you know,
1: I'm sure they'll keep them in in some. I think they'll evolve, you know, like the
0: Russians will probably still have something,
1: you know, there'll be a poster, a poster, there'll be a portrait of Yuri Gagarin and you'll probably like say something to it, you know, or something before you fly, you know, pay Uh your respects. Yep. But it'll, it'll evolve and and change in a different way.
0: Okay. So moving on, we sign our guest book. Yeah.
1: So now, now we can say that they're leaving Moscow and they're hopping on a plane and they're flying to Kazakhstan to the Baikmar Cosmodrome, which is where they will launch from. That's where the rocket is located. Mm -hmm. And so they stay at uh, this building called the Cosmonaut Hotel, and you can read there's stories and legends about this place. It's kind of almost like folklore about this building Uh, because all all the cosmonauts and all the astronauts that have launched on Soyuz rockets have stayed in this hotel. And I'm sure, man, if those walls could talk, there'd be some pretty cool stories. But um, there's an avenue of trees behind the building, and it's another sort of memorial um, each tree is planted. So when you when you return from a safe flight, uh, at least the cosmonauts. I don't know if the astronauts do it as well, but certainly the cosmonauts. They plant uh, a sapling back mm-hmm. in this kind of memorial grove, and then you know, so they they go out there and they walk among it, and you know, yeah. feel inspired, connected. I don't know.
0: So is this hotel like strictly used for cosmonauts
1: to stay at? I yeah, I think it's strictly you know cosmonauts, astronauts, uh, whatever kind of knots are flying. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Okay. I, I don't. You know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna say that for certain. I don't know for certain.
0: Okay. Because if it's for the general public, we should go. Stay I, I would. Nights. I would
1: guess it's not for the general public, but I'm sure the ground crew, you know, and flight directors and, and launch directors and other, you know, bigwigs, administrators could stay there too if they wanted right. to. Right. Yeah. But maybe it is just just uh, spacefaring humans. I don't know. Yeah. That's I'm not
0: question. sure. Find out. Um. So. So anyway, we're approaching launch, right? Yeah, so and at this point
1: we're yeah we're we're two days this out. Is,
0: this is for me where things get get interesting. Yeah, this, this, is, this is like a for month me that happens. This, this is, a,
1: is a lot. <laughs> this on. is
0: approaching the the point the the types of things I talked about in the last podcast mm-hmm. that are so interesting to me. Yeah, um, so, so take us through it. <laughs> so,
1: so this is one of my favorite ones. There's a lot that goes on with with rolling the rocket out to the launch pad. So it's considered bad luck, and I don't know why, but it's considered bad luck the astronauts to watch the rocket roll out to the pad. So mm-hmm. instead of instead of going to attend this rollout ceremony, which is a big thing, and all the ground crew are there, and really excited, the astronauts and cosmonauts, they actually go and get haircuts that day. And they, you know, cut their hair, buzz their head, oh, however they yeah. want it. To prepare well, if you're going to
0: die, you don't want to look ugly. You want, you want a fresh cut, you know, right. you want to be looking your best, so...
1: <laughs> and then, uh, fun, so wh- yeah. while they're rolling out the rocket, though the ground crew and I love this one—they place coins on the tracks for the rocket to roll over, just like you know you put a nickel on a on yeah. a train track to smash it. They do the same thing, uh, but the the transport for the rocket smashes here.
0: Did smash you ever your... hear about the woman? I think this happened in Japan. There was a woman, a Japanese woman, old lady. Who okay. thought it was good good luck to throw quarters into the engine of her plane that she was flying in what? Um, for good luck? And <laughs> Like any
1: plane? Like was this a private plane or any, no? No, no, like, this was a a was jet
0: on? a jet airliner, okay, a large airliner, and she threw a handful of quarters or currency <laughs> into the into the engine of the plane and had to shut the whole thing down and like get a new plane. <laughs> oh, my word because she thought it was good luck. So.
1: The pre-9-11 days of airplanes just astound me with the level of, of freedom that you had to just... I mean, could you imagine walking up to the engine of a jet while well, it's parked there and people are getting on? Like, you would be tackled. You would be arrested. Like, I mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> I always wonder when I'm at That's airports, weird. I always wonder, like, how tight is security? Because, like, uh, the, the Rochester airport is, like, there's just like fences next to the interstate and that's where the airport is. I feel like you could just scale the fence and you'd be, you'd be there. You know, (laughs) it doesn't seem very secure to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but anyhow, going back. So we get our haircuts, we get get our haircuts, we get the rocket
1: out, smash some coins. Um, apparently they, um, write the, (laughs) a woman's name on the side of the rocket. So, so the rocket's being fueled. It's got all this super cold fuel, and this frost forms on the outside. And they write a woman's name on the rocket in the frost. And I'd love to tell you which woman's name or how they decide if it's a different woman every time. How they decide? Yeah. I don't know. I could only find one little snippet about this, so I, I don't even know if okay. this part's true. See, but I like it. I, I this is it. this is
0: the this is the reason that you have to be cautionary when you use the word expert, because not a lot of it is is necessarily what you'd say public knowledge, right? Um. Mm. So this is a case of, of something that is so arbitrary and so sort of behind the scenes that you can only sort of speculate based on limited details. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's interesting nonetheless. And I, I guarantee you next time I have Dr. Fisher on, Dr. David Fisher, he could probably be like, oh, yeah, they write you know St. Maria. He's, he's
1: going to know all the answers to all of
0: these things. Yeah. I want him
1: to do like I want him to do like a rebuttal episode where he
0: fixes everything we said that was wrong. Oh, where he listens to you and then he and then he he fact checks me and adds to it. That'd be interesting. That'd be kinda interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um that's interesting. So Okay. Now, what about the day before the launch?
1: Day before launch. So this is they the crew um gets blessed by a Russian Orthodox priest and they sprinkle him with holy water and I'm pretty certain I saw or heard somewhere that they kind of like slap their face a little bit, not like hard, but it's like they like sprinkle them and like kind of slap their cheek yeah. or something.
0: Smack God into them. That's what yeah, like, exactly. They put smack God the bad luck them. out of them. I don't know. Yes.
1: Um, they watch they watch a movie <laughs> the night before launch. It's the same movie. It's called The White Son of the Desert. I don't know what it's called in Russian, but that's the English translation. And it's this Russian movie from 1969. Uh, that's supposedly one of the most popular films of the Soviet era. And I haven't seen it. I wanna, I wanna watch this movie now. I'm interested in, uh, in what this is like. Uh, but they watch that, they watch that every night before they launch.
0: I can't, I can't watch that movie because it is from the year 1969. And well, I cannot watch a movie from the year 1969. Why can't you watch a movie? From I 1969? can't watch a movie i can't There's watch a lot a of good
1: movies from 1969
0: dude i watched the lord i i started watching the original lord of the rings like a year ago and i was like how dude was this passed off as a film okay
1: i just googled 1969 movies okay we've got once upon a time in the west don't care easy rider also don't butch care. cassidy and the sundance kid the uh, that's, like, that's my favorite western ever true grit dude true grit no so many great westerns. Frosty the Snowman, 1969.
0: All right, Come that on. one's a, that's a classic.
1: The Italian Job, original Italian Job. No. Yes, dude. T- I'm not watching any movies. of
0: those. I'm not watching any of those. I actually hate you. 19- I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I can't even begin end- <laughs> to. <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch anything from that era, dude. dude. I can't read anything from that era. I can't You can't read anything from nineteen sixty nine? What are you no, talking about? I'm an ageist. <laughs> Do you hate the moon landing because a, it happened in
1: nineteen sixty nine? I'm a Do century. you hate Woodstock? Yeah.
0: I I I was gonna buy tickets to go to the Woodstock uh 50 Oh, Yeah, before and that completely fell apart. They cancelled it. Yeah. Because they started to realize that everyone who played in the original Woodstock turns out to be dead. So <laughs> there's the hat. Oh, um God. They're all dead. Anyway, um, so they watched this film. Why do they watch it? Is this literally just ritualistic? I,
1: I don't know. I don't know why they watch. This is a question for Fisher. Why, why this film in particular? When did this start?
0: I'm yeah. guessing
1: someone in the, the 60s watched this movie, and but not before 1969. Yeah.
0: And apparently. they decided
1: this was a great movie for
0: cosmonauts to watch. I do feel like I want to watch it now. I, I guarantee you, Doctor Fisher. Doctor David Fisher. Could he's recycle. got a copy
1: on VHS that he, he does. recorded from some
0: Russian VHS. broadcast
1: that he picked yep. up with some you antenna set up.
0: yep. You know he's got a copy of it on Super <laughs> 8 film too. He definitely does, for sure. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we're done watching the movie. Now what do we do? Now, uh, now it's the morning, the
1: morning of launch, and um, so they have a champagne breakfast, which I think is great. And, like they <laughs> put these guys on a. On a on a, a controlled explosion, give yep. a champagne breakfast. I love it.
0: Well, you got to get him drunk. I would want to like, be drunk.
1: It's like you know when you're on the airplane and you're sitting in the the assistant seat where you have to take the door off if something goes wrong or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. And they have to get like that verbal consent from you. But then they give you free drinks the whole flight.
0: It's kind of the yep. same
1: thing for that. It's like, is that the best time to be getting free drinks? Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> You're gonna be more lucid. You're gonna be more, you know. You're gonna be
1: quicker to react. You're gonna, you're not even gonna think. You're just gonna pull that door
0: right off and jump exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because if you can hit that middle ground, not where you're drunk, but where you're just buzzed a little bit, then it's you're gonna be less anxious. It, there's a, it's a win win, man. <laughs> I think everyone should just walk around like that all day long. <laughs> everyone should wake. Everyone up. Everyone should like,
1: be like two or three drinks deep constantly. Yes.
0: yes. And you the world should maintain. Would be a more fun place. Yes. We should all walk around with little IV drips of alcohol oh, that's to keep us sustained at that know. level. I don't know. It's something about taboos or societal taboos. I don't know. You know, one thing I actually wish that existed more in America that that doesn't is alcohol at lunch. You yeah. know, like yes. I like that a lot. I like the idea of you go to lunch with your colleagues. You have a beer. You have maybe two beers. You go back to work. Yeah. I'm down with that. That's like a really popular European thing that's just not a thing here, and I love it. <laughs> um anyhow, so we autograph the hotel room door. We have a champagne yeah. breakfast. Um does does everyone autograph the same hotel room door?
1: So I think they autograph the hotel door that they stay in, but there is a wall and I think it's in the hotel that everyone mm-hmm. autographs. That has been autographed by everyone and everyone autographs. Mm-hmm. So Because I've seen pictures where, you know, they're signing this wall, and there's like hundreds of other autographs. But I think for the door, I think it's their specific door, and
0: then there's this other wall that they sign as well. I see. Okay. So now we're leaving the hotel. We're going (laughs) with the rocket. Yeah, so they're
1: they're leaving the hotel, and the same song plays every time they leave. The English translation is Grass Near My Home by Mm -hmm. a band name that I can't pronounce, but it translates to The Earthlings. How Appropriate. Yep. And the song is about a cosmonaut's love for planet Earth.
0: Yeah, and I so, wonder if that's a if that's an open license, because I'll play it. Yeah, you this. should
1: play that over the credits. Yeah. Maybe you'll get sued.
0: Yeah, I'll see like it, who owns it and it, I might yeah. play it. Yeah. Speaking of which, I've had people like trying to copy like copyright claim my shit recently for like really nonsensical things. Like Like there will just be like a little noise that I use, like a weird – just like a a noise I use at the end of an episode. And it's not owned by anyone, but people try to copyright claim it, and it's like (laughs) I don't understand it. And they keep getting shut down, like the copyright claims keep getting denied, but it keeps happening over and over and over again. And I think actually this is becoming a popular thing on YouTube is that you get these organizations or these people – that try to copyright claim like hundreds or thousands of videos in hopes that YouTube won't notice they don't actually own the music just so that they can get the ad revenue because if you mm-hmm. if you um do steal someone's like okay this is one of the stupidest things about YouTube if i stole do you remember that i had an episode where i played limp biscuit in it do no. you remember this okay well i had an episode and i played limp biscuit in it and um it was one of my early episodes and the owner of the Limp Biscuit song, whatever the studio is, copyright claimed that. And now they get all of the ad revenue for that video. Just because I played it's that just song. Just because you played one little snippet, they get all the ad revenue? Yeah. So oh, a 15-second snippet, and they get all of the ad revenue. That's one of the weirdest things. Um. So did that's you leave it up, or did
1: you re-upload it with that part, you know,
0: deleted? No, or? I left it up. It was an early episode. They're going to get, like two cents over the course of its lifetime <laughs> um because i don't think it's ever going to rack up like a considerable amount of views. You know, it, it, was could, a,
1: it could go viral
0: it was a very very early episode um in fact i should probably take it down for my own sake because it was probably terrible <laughs> uh anyhow we play the song as we leave the hotel what is this like playing does someone carry like a boom box do you know <laughs> like how is it playing
1: i don't know in my head I know this is Russia, not Scotland, but I'm picturing someone
0: playing it like on
1: bagpipes, you know.
0: Oh. That's all I'm picturing my head. That's
1: definitely not how it happens. But that's how I like to think it happens.
0: They could have the band there, like outside of the hotel. That'd be cool. <laughs> if they're still alive. They're just like the house band for the, the Cosmonaut Hotel. Yep. And every couple okay. of months they gotta play that. Exactly. <laughs> this is where my favorite this is where my favorite stuff happens.
1: Oh yeah. So this this is a more famous so they, they get on this bus right up to the launch pad. And the bus is adorned with horseshoes for good luck, because of course. And then this is this is a pretty famous one, which most people have probably heard of in some form. Um, on the way to the launch pad, the bus will stop and the crew will get out. Uh, and they will do something that, that harkens back to the very first space flight, Yuri Gagarin's space flight, uh, when he was driving out to the launch pad and he realized he, he had to relieve himself. He had to use the bathroom. So he went out to the, the back right tire of the bus, and he urinated on the tire. And now every cosmonaut and astronaut, at least male, will get off the bus, walk around to the back, and urinate on the back right tire.
0: Yeah, now I asked Doctor David Fisher when he was on a few weeks ago. I asked him, because we were talking about the same thing. We brought it up. We were talking about this, and one of the things I asked him is, what do women do? And he didn't know the answer. Do you know the answer?
1: Yeah, so – women are not
0: required to take part in this ritual hold on um, when you, I wanna I want to focus on that word required real quick are men required to that's interesting I, okay
1: yeah they're not re- they're probably not required but it's they're just strongly encouraged,
0: encouraged. yeah yeah okay. yeah
1: and women they realize it's much harder for a woman to urinate on a tire um, so they're, they're not encouraged as much but if they want to a lot of women will fill up a vial a little bottle, squirt bottle or something, of urine back at the hotel and bring that along with them and actually squirt that on the tire.
0: Oh, solid move. Do you yeah. know what a she-wee is? A Shiwi. Do you know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? I don't know what that is. Okay, it's a device, and it's used for camping. And it is like this little funnel. It's like a little funnel that women can use to essentially like – you could look it up, people. I'm looking um, up.
1: This right look now.
0: up what a she we because it's impossible for me to describe. The
1: original female urinating device. Yeah, so
0: it's like a little funnel that you can like – it goes inside of your pants and it's like a little funnel. And you can pull the end uh, of the funnel out of your zipper hole. So it's like a yeah, –
1: Look like,
0: that. It l- allows you to switch up your anatomy up. for a few minutes. Um, it's Why don't they use that? That's my question. <laughs>
1: <'Cause> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That seems like a really – well – I don't know. I don't know how well it would fit in the suit. Because at this time they're wearing their launch suit. Yeah, you
0: are wearing a launch suit. Which is another thing that surprised me is that they have a zipper in their launch suit.
1: I think it takes I think I mean I don't think there's like one zipper that just opens right up. I think it's you know
0: It's a process? It's a process, yeah. Yeah. Now I I said this before, but I wouldn't be able to do this ritual. Because I am very pee-shy. I, yeah. I don't know why there's people taking pictures. Like, <laughs> why? That's one of the things that amazed me. Is like, I could, yeah, I'd be
1: like, I'd be like, everyone go to the other side of the bus.
0: Yeah. You know. I'm yeah. trying to pee over here. And I'm um, wondering, like,
1: are they doing it all at the same time? Like, are they crossing streams while this is happening? There
0: was. I did see a picture of two dudes pissing at the same time. At the same the time?
1: Yeah. Hey, well, I mean, I guess if you're launching a space together, you should probably be pretty comfortable with each other.
0: Yeah, but they do a tight move. They kind of tuck into the into the wheel well, you know, like they're oh, like, so uh, the kind like of a the little yeah. little hiding it in the tire. I could, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they're not as brazen as the great Yuri um, once <laughs> yeah. was.
1: I'm picturing but Yuri just whipping it out.
0: For sure. Well, he had to. For him, it wasn't a ritual. The man had to. had to go. <laughs> yeah. And listen, I don't blame a man, because. If I was in that scenario, I would have to go too. <laughs> you get nervous and you want You need to pee. Yeah, you do.
1: Well, you I, what was Alan Shepard right? He urinated in his in his spacesuit because they wouldn't they wouldn't let him get off the the launch pad to use the bathroom. They had him sitting up there for
0: so long with so many delays. Any any pissed in it while sitting there? Yeah. Aren't you laying on your back though? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it
1: moves throughout the
0: suit. Oh boy. So it probably his whole back was probably soaked with his would, own urine.
1: I would guess probably.
0: Oh boy. That's, That's a Fisher
1: question. A question. Fisher definitely knows the answer to that
0: one. Yeah, he's he will too. He'd be like, yes, he, it it his, his know left know. shoulder Fisher. was wet. His left shoulder was wet, <laughs> and it got on his hips. And he would like he'd break it down for us all. The temperature was ninety six point four degrees on exit. He would have everything. He would know it all. Um, exactly how much <laughs> yeah there were 77 milliliters I'm,
1: I'm excited for fisher's fact check of this episode
0: all right i'll tell them to listen that, need, to it. that needs to happen yeah um so okay so now we're done pissing and we're we're driving up to the launch pad
1: so we're, we're there we're about to get on the rocket um, they report to the chairman of the state committee for space they report that they're ready for flight and then they're given permission to board uh, so now, then they then they board, you know, they go up the access arm or however they get up there, and they're in the capsule, and the crew gets uh, pre-launch songs, kind of kind of hype up songs for going mm-hmm. into space. Um, at least one song per crew member. I don't know if they get more than that. Um, and they play this thing, you know, over the speakers in the Soyuz capsule, and they get to jam out. So you know, you get a nice mix of Russian, English, you know, American, uh, German. Yep. Japanese uh-huh. song, hype up songs basically, um, and it's real fun. You can you can, well I don't know if you can listen along on NASA TV, but if you're like listening on the loops, sometimes you can hear some of the music being played. Um, it's interesting to hear what they choose.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, do you ever listen to the song "Lift Off" by Kanye West? I don't think so. You would like it, I think. Lift off. Yeah, you should listen to that. Well, then. What Kanye um, period is that? It's in an album he did with Jay-Z. It's like after his greatest period, uh, but okay. not um, quite to his worst.
1: Okay. Not
0: to his worst period. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay. it's like in the middle. Check it's an out. intermediary stage. Okay. Yes. So we, i pick a What song would you pick, do you think? Oh, man, put me on the spot. Because I don't, I don't know, know what song I
1: would pick. I don't know. Well, I'll get back to you. i get back All to right. you on the next episode. That'll be my homework.
0: Pick a pre-launch right. hype-up song. Yeah. There we go. Cause I, did they pick like well beforehand? I assume, or do they pick on the spot?
1: They definitely don't pick. Yeah, they pick. They pick
0: ahead of time. I wonder if they have to like, get permission. They have to like reach out to the company. They're like, is it okay if we play your song? Oh, no, I, don't I think would so, play. Because I don't think it's played on like NASA TV. So I don't right. Think yeah. Think other than I, the crew. I know the that song was I would play actually. I would play "Intergalactic" by the Beastie Boys. Intergalactic. So would you pick a? So you would pick a song that has to do with space. I would pick a song that has to do with space and is also like kind of like hypey.
1: Yeah. See, I don't know if I would go with the space theme. I think I just want like whatever I want,
0: you know? Yeah, like Welcome to the USA or something.
1: <laughs> Party in the USA.
0: Yeah, Party in the USA.
1: Yeah.
0: Or back, Old Town
1: Road. Back in the
0: USSR. Back in the USSR. Okay. No, uh, anyway. Upgraded. Um. Yeah. I am. That's gonna get taken down. <laughs> uh, so. We're done with our songs. We're ready to take off. Is there so, anything else?
1: So now it's lift three, two, one liftoff. Um, and the crew always has a zero G indicator, which is always just like a small, it's usually a stuffed animal of some sort or, you know, a coin or a necklace kind of thing. Um, and they hang it from the, the capsule, you know, in front of them. And really it's, it's there, it's symbolic. So sometimes, you know, like sometimes astronauts will pick, you know, their children's, you know, favorite stuffed animal or something like that. Yep. Um, but it's also it's also practical. It lets them know when they've got to zero G. When the thing starts floating around, you know, yeah. and not following the laws of physics the way it should be here on Earth, then they then they know they're in zero G. Um, and I've seen it I, even SpaceX on the Crew Dragon, um, the Demo One flight. So it was uncrewed, but they had they had a I think it was like that like stuffed Earth guy with like arms, mm-hmm. you know? Like yeah. The globe. That was the zero G indicator I believe they had on that flight. Um, so that's always kind of interesting to see, to see what they have. Uh, let's see. So what, once they get to the ISS, and this part I had no idea about, and I actually, I should ask, follow up on this. But apparently when they get to the ISS, they follow naval tradition by clanging the station's bell, which announces the arrival of this, the capsule. So I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that the ISS has a bell, and I don't know that it actually does. I'm fact checking this. This, this part, I want to know more about. And then uh, apparently there's a traditional Slavic uh, offering of bread and salt to visitors. So they they offer the new the new astronauts and cosmonauts on board coming on board uh, bread and salt, which I didn't know. That about That sounds either.
0: like the worst meal in the history of forever. <laughs> <No>. Salted bread, <laughs> salty bread. It's, it's not even a bagel. how much
1: salt. You know, it's if it's just, just a little sprinkle or if it's a lot of salt. Oh, what oh, maybe if it's it not even separate? salt on bread? What if it's just yeah, just a handful of salt? Oh my and a god! Slice of bread. They make
0: you eat a end the end piece of the bread, <laughs> and because that, that's what that's what they that's what they should do actually. They should round up all the end pieces of bread and just send that to save <laughs> money. Um, and they just give you that, and then you have to eat like a handful of salt afterwards. <laughs> Ugh, that'd be the worst. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're up there, right? Yeah. Now, uh, this is interesting, that you don't know if the station has a bell. Yeah. No. <laughs> because you work as a, you know.
1: Well, very... okay, so, 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 I mean, it has caution and warning systems and alert tones and all these kind of things. But, I mean, when they say bell, I don't think they mean
0: there's an actual bell. Yeah, I'm, or... Oh, I'm picturing, like, statu- like uh, the, not Statue of Liberty, am I stupid, the Liberty, Liberty bell. bell. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, maybe they do have, like, a little bell that's,
0: like, hanging there. I don't know. I-, I feel like this is something you could figure out like tomorrow. So we're on board. We're on. We have the Russians on board now. When the Americans fly out of Kazakhstan? Do they do all of the same things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They do all these these same rituals. That's very interesting. Okay, so we're we're on board the ISS. Are we completely done? Is there any more weird things that we should be doing as astronauts?
1: <clears throat> uh, not that I know of, Only the ISS. Um, when they, when they land, they sign the outside of the capsule that they land in. Um, um, they sign the inside of the recovery helicopter. And then, like I said, they'll go to the, the Cosmona Hotel and they'll plant a sapling, uh, behind it in that, in that grove. Um, and then, you know, the standard welcome home ceremonies. Um, I would guess more tributes to Yuri Gagarin, probably coming back to the office or to the monument, you know, maybe thanking him right. for, a, for a good flight or
0: something like that. Mm hmm. Okay. So that's the Russians. Yeah. Now, transitioning to the Americans. To the Americans. Who, <laughs> I I suspect, have a lot less rituals. Yeah, um, they have a lot fewer rituals. But I know, I know of some interesting ones, though, still. Yeah. So,
1: and, and it's interesting, the American ones focus on food a lot more than the Russian ones do. There's there's a lot
0: more to do with food. Well, we do tend to have an eating disorder. We problem. like to eat. We love to eat. I and like to eat a, a lot. lot, yeah. I'll eat it's, anything. It's I'll eat everything.
1: Uh, you, put a, you put a handful of bread and a handful of salt in front of me, and I'll eat it. No I,
0: shame. I will actually eat it, yeah. <laughs> I will actually eat it. How good are – okay, people not from Pennsylvania, they don't understand this. We're both from Pennsylvania. Do you like Middlesworth chips? They are so good. They're the greatest thing. Now, here's are the question. So Have you ever had them on a ham sandwich? I –
1: so, I mean, I've had a ham sandwich with potato chips, but I don't know if I've had one specifically with Middlesbrough. Oh, my
0: God. You've got to get the potato chips, and you got to put them on the sandwich. It <laughs> changes your world. People out there listening, no matter where you are in the world, I will put a link below to Middlesworth chips. You can go online and buy them and ship them to you, and they will change your idea of a potato chip. Yeah, they're very good potato chips. They will now, revolutionize your ideas. Anyway. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had Goods potato chips? What is it? Goods? Goods potato chips. No, what's goods potato chips? Goods potato they're made in Adamstown,
1: Pennsylvania. And those are actually my favorite chips. I like those more than Middlesworth. And that's a hill I'm willing to die on. But yeah, I, don't, people, I don't think they're to die on it. Okay. I don't think they have a very large distribution. But if you ever get a chance, if you ever down in Lancaster County, pick up some goods potato chips. They're in all are the Are they made by the, the Amish? Places. They are not. They are made by the Good family. That they're delicious, good.
0: though. They are delicious. Good family. <laughs> I trust it. Listen, I'm a potato chip connoisseur. I don't understand why Lay's are even allowed to be I sold.
1: I hate Lay's. I'm sorry. Like, if I go to a party and someone brought Lay's, I'm going to leave. This is what I, I don't understand. Lay's, I, I don't, don't
0: understand this because every human I ever talked to hates Lay's potato chips, but somehow <laughs> they're in it's every the old, store. It's,
1: it's the universal potato chip somehow. I don't, I don't understand. I've and never seen someone eat
0: Lay's. I literally haven't seen anyone eat Lay's (laughs) in my whole life. I've never one time seen a human put a Lay's potato chip anywhere near their mouth. (laughs) I'm actually not convinced there's anything in the bag at the store. (laughs) I might buy a bag later just to look inside. To see what's actually in there. Yeah, this might be... They probably won't
1: let you buy it.
0: Yeah, I guarantee the barcodes are scratched off or something. I'll have to steal it. (laughs) Fine, I will. But I can't get Middlesworth chips here where I live now. And so our family sometimes sends them, mm-hmm. sends them to us. And so, um, the other night, a couple nights ago, um, I may have indulged myself in a decriminalized substance here in New York State. Um, <laughs> therefore it wasn't a criminal act. And it's a, decriminalized I, act. it's a decriminalized act. And I laid in bed and I ate a half a bag of barbecue Middlesworth <laughs> chips. While I watch Trailer Park Boys, and, sounds like uh, a night well spent. And that was a night well spent. And yeah. that's my ritual, actually. That's my every every week ritual that I do. <laughs> Weekly ritual. Yes. And so <laughs> that's a okay. lot of potato
1: chips, man. It's a half a bag. <laughs> every it's week. not a
0: lot. It's that's a half. A have bag. lot of
1: potato chips.
0: No, that's that's not that's two bags a month. Okay. That's 24 bags a year. That's not a lot. If you think 24 bags of chips a year is a lot, <laughs> then you should eat more chips, sir. I don't really
1: like potato chips, I'll be
0: honest. I'm a tortilla chip guy. Tortilla chips are good with some good salsa? Just plain, dude. I don't even eat salsa. Oh, I yeah. Uh, dude. Just... Well, uh, yes, my, uh, my wife got sick the other week. She had a flu, and that means that she wasn't able to um, make dinner or help me make dinner or give me a recipe to make dinner, mm-hmm. and so that means dinner didn't get made. And so that means for lunch, I ate a bag, half a bag of tortilla chips <laughs> for two days in a row. <laughs> and listen, that's – I'm okay with that because that was good lunch. I love tortilla chips. I'll eat them all. Oh, my god. Okay. Okay. We got, we got really sidetracked here. No, it's fine. Transitioning back to – those are our rituals. Those are important. Those are, those are our rituals. Yeah. So now let's talk about some more American rituals.
1: So, obviously the first one, and this, this includes the, the Russian crews as well. The thing you do before any flight is you make a mission patch. You design, the, the crew designs their mission patch. Um, and it's personalized to them and it has usually, you know, has a couple different layers of meaning. Um, I think mission patches are really kind of fascinating how they, you know, what, what they decide to put on it and what it all, what it means to the crew. Right. That would be, that would be a cool episode to do
0: yeah we can do one on the did you see the new um logo for the space force? I did um, it's an updated one from the space Command. Yes, I saw that yeah I saw a lot of people saying like it's a ripoff of Star Trek or something yeah that's like um, classic uh Donald Trump did it so it must be bad right know. yes, of course yeah uh anyhow, so beyond the mission patch what what sort of rituals are pre-flight rituals do we have? So
1: they they do this stay and uh, kind of a barbecue at this beach house in Florida uh, on the cape. And I know they did this in Apollo and Shuttle airs. I don't know if that's something they are going to continue to do uh when they start flying astronauts um again hopefully this year. This again I'm going to toss I'm going to toss this one off to Fisher as well. I'm sure he knows a lot about that one. He's got some stories. Um when they so they process the shuttle and they roll it they roll it over to the the VAB the, the Vehicle Assembly Building. Um, the managers treat the ground crew to uh, donuts and bagels and all these just like round dessert foods. Um, they say that they have round to be round.
0: Dessert foods. They have to be round. That's a thing.
1: Yeah, because I think it's supposed to civilize the wheels of the mobile transporter that's moving the shuttle around,
0: and it's a celebration oh. of the shuttle being
1: moved. So. They buy them round, round fruit stuff. So don't
0: bring a muffin to the damn round. Uh, Unless it's patient. a round muffin. I mean, it's the a round,
1: kind of round. If you round muffin
0: is top, top down. No, no, it looks it's round if you just see it from the top down. If you chop the top off. Yeah. If you cook it in like a big cylinder and don't allow yeah. it to go over the top. Yeah, you could have it well, that, that could work. Yeah. Okay, but th- then there's then there's the other thing that Doc, that uh, David Fisher and I talked about, which is that. NASA astronauts tend to eat uh, the same breakfast.
1: Yeah, they have the uh, steak and eggs on uh, the morning of the launch
0: because mm-hmm. that's
1: what Alan Shepard ate on his uh, his first flight to space in 1961. He had some
0: steak and eggs, classic breakfast choice. Which is a good which is a good move because we don't need any vegans going to space. You know, <laughs> well I'm okay. We space isn't going to discriminate based on your, your dietary preferences. It should though. Because here's why. Here's why. If you're vegan, maybe you're not making a good choice in your life, you know?
1: I think a lot of people would would argue that.
0: (laughs) And then I would, and then I would task them with eating a medium rare, uh, filet. Okay. And then we can decide who's making a better choice in their life. (laughs) And that's all I'm saying. Okay. And so anyway.
1: Yeah. I wonder if they have like a, Tofu eggs or vegetarian, you know, the fake steak and stuff for uh, any vegetarians that go out.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but what's the reason for this meal? Well, the reason is you gotta eat breakfast before you go into space. Well, obviously, but why? The, <laughs> why and the ritual? But why did uh, Alan Shepard eat this particular thing?
1: Well, he probably ate it because he likes eggs, scrambled eggs, and steak. But it is a, it is a good high protein meal that it's not going to make you need to void your bowels in the next few hours speak for yourself buca <laughs>
0: because if i eat steak and eggs but man i right i'm going to be you. what?
1: It goes right through you right through me well you would be a bad astronaut
0: cuz you're going to be I, you're going to no, be sitting
1: no. you're going to be sitting in a capsule or a space shuttle or something for for a couple hours before you get a chance to use the bathroom
0: i would be a bad astronaut actually. that's a fact i have a of common disease known as Jew stomach, okay? And Jew stomach is a thing that I have, and it was passed down to me from my Jewish ancestors. My, Jewish. my mom's side of the family is, is, um, Austrian Jews. And okay. I don't know if you know this, this is actually an interesting thing. Um, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic, but they're actually, is a an incredibly high rate of irritable bowel syndrome in the Jewish community?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I thought you were joking, and I googled this, and yeah, no. There's oh, wait, th- you
0: actually found something called Jew stomach?
1: Well, it's not called Jew stomach, but I just googled Jew stomach, and the uh, studies have shown the Jewish people are among the ethnic groups that display increased sensitivity to dairy products and yeah. um, higher rates of stomach issues.
0: Yep, and that's because. We all come from a very small population of similar ancestors, a very, very few number of years ago. Hmm. I think, like we, we most Jews descend from like six hundred people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Ten million something Jews. I don't know how to say that word. Descend from a population of only three hundred fifty individuals who lived about six hundred,
0: eight hundred years ago. Yeah. Wow. So we, hey, you so, guys have
1: done well for yourselves.
0: Yes. So we tend to have like a a very high prevalence of certain diseases and IBS is one of them. So listen to me, if I'm go I I'm, I'm not the type to fly on a rocket because I'm going to shit in my pants. <laughs> and it's not my fault and it's no one's fault, okay? It's my it's the 350 people that were alive 600 800 years ago, it's their fault. Um, <laughs> and they gave that to me and they passed that down to me. And I'm not happy about it and I'm not proud of it. And sometimes I have to pull over when I'm driving a car, and I have to relieve myself in the, in the great outdoors. <laughs> and I'm not happy about that either, okay? And I didn't sign up for it, and I didn't ask for it. As, but as
1: my mom would say, <laughs> Brendan, we all have our cross to bear.
0: Yes, and we Here do. about
1: have, syndrome is yours.
0: And I have developed a three-point system, patented three-point system that I'll tell you about one day. Um,
1: I'm excited to hear about it.
0: And it will prevent any and all um, bowel problems from from arising all right <laughs> and also one time i had to uh we were driving in montana one time we were in yellowstone and i had to relieve myself nate all right and we're driving on a road and roads are okay for relieving yourself i've had to do it a few times in my life if there's woods nearby the problem is there was no woods nearby so i had to run into the uh, off the road a little bit and then there was just a cliff, a straight cliff drop down. And I had to gr- uh, grapple onto a tree and lower myself down the cliff a little bit. And I had to uh, I had to relieve myself off the cliff. OK, and that was, if I'm being honest, one of the greatest moments of my life.
1: Wow. That's, so that's kind of inspiring.
0: And so all I'm saying is this, if you ever ha- if you ever want. To really empty your body in different ways, one of the over ways a cliff. one of the ways is to utilize a, a grappling hook and lower yourself over a cliff. Uh, so keep that in mind. Extreme relief. Anyway, the point is, I ain't flying. If I'm flying, what I'm eating for breakfast is I'm sticking with a bagel, no cream cheese, no butter, just bread. Just bagels. And maybe some salt. Maybe a little bit of salt. Yeah, I'll so I'll, I'll finish it with some salt. It's the so way to do it. yes. So okay, good. So the astronauts ideally. High protein, they're not mm-hmm. having to shit in the capsule, great, mm-hmm. or or urinate, or whatever words you want to use. Now we're all suited up, right? Yeah, we're ready to go. They uh they they have to play a card game
1: before they launch, um, and it's been described. I found somewhere they they called it Possum Fargo, and I've heard it described as sort of like blackjack or maybe um, five card poker. Mm-hmm. No one really seems to know exactly what, what the card game is. Um, but, so they're all suited up just before, you know, they all go out to the pad. Uh, they have to play this game and they have to play until the commander of the mission loses. Uh, so that it leaves all the bad luck in the suit up room and they
0: don't take any of that bad luck with them. See, this is one of the more interesting ritualistic ones mm-hmm. that I think. Cause this is one of those superstitious things. Yeah, this one is purely superstitious. It seems like, it seems like from the things you talked about so far, that what tends to happen is there's like a a logical reason for doing something, and then that that thing ends up becoming um, not a ritual but like a, a a code of conduct, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, a thing that you abide by. But this one is is similar to the Russians in the way that it's superstitious-y, you know? Yeah, there's no, there's but it's no real logical reason to do it, but – it's like it's it's so primal, it's so interesting. Like leaving the bad luck in the room, um, that I almost get it. You know, yeah. It's like part of me is like, wow, that's kind of a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Do you know how that one originated? I have no idea how that one originated. Should we throw that one to Fisher too? Yeah, for, I, he'll know. He he will <laughs> probably know. He's like it's 1962. The Soyuz was good. Yeah, he'll know. it was. <laughs>
1: um he probably has the original he probably has the original deck of cards that they use to play that game yep
0: he will like it was the third of june i think it was sunny outside that day 62 (laughs) it was 62 degrees it was windy uh yeah anyhow so all right is there anything else that we do before a launch uh that's about everything okay so yeah so immediately listeners can tell that we spent about an hour talking about the russians (laughs) and we spent about 20 minutes talking about the Americans. And
1: and most of that was talking about irritable, irritable bowel syndrome. That's true.
0: And, and That's chips. true. So, yes. And shout out to the Jewish community. You guys are struggling every day of your life. Every little bit of traffic is a, is a life or death situation for you and me. <laughs> and um and I love y'all, okay? And we've been through a lot, but we're going to get through it all. All right? <laughs> so anyway, now what now, one of the interesting things that i that i think in american space flight is that there's also rituals on the non astronaut side of things.
1: Yeah, right? there's a lot of there's a lot of ground crew stuff um rituals that happen. So this one i i really like this one again food related um so after after a successful shuttle launch they would have beans and cornbread in the launch control at uh, at kennedy for for everyone in the launch control room but only if it was a successful flight. So and this was this is actually um if you've never read Wayne Hale's blog, he was a launch director in the shuttle era, and he kind of has this, like, tell-all blog where he just, you know, whatever topic comes up, whatever he feels like writing about, he writes, and he he really doesn't hold back, and he's really kind of brutally honest about the shuttle, period. Mm-hmm. It's just it's really fascinating. I highly recommend that you just Google Wayne Hale's blog. It'll be the first thing you find. I recommend it to all the listeners. But he was talking about how this was one of those things that, in, in hindsight – might have been um, a somewhat dangerous practice because it, it helped kind of lead to launch fever. So they would bring these beans and cornbread out before the launch. You can't eat it. You know, everyone's there counting down, you know, getting ready. And, yeah. you know, people are prepping it in the hallway and it comes into the vents and you start smelling these beans and cornbread, you start getting really hungry. And then, um, you know, if you if you can't launch that day, if you have to scrub for weather or whatever, no beans and cornbread, it all goes back in the fridge or whatever until the next launch attempt and they bring it out and so they're like you know it, it might have been something that's that's kind of subconsciously um, pushing you to launch when you should launch because you just want to eat you want that food you know right yeah so it's one of those things that like it's this kind of fun little tradition but also
0: maybe maybe it's something that, that could uh... no that's interesting how much so do they bring in beans for everyone everyone yeah they've got
1: like crock pots. Lined up in the hallway. It started out, I think it started out after the first mission. They just had like one crock pot of beans and some cornbread and then it just grew and yeah, they just line up uh, crock pots and uh, sheets of cornbread.
0: And how many people are generally like eating? How many people are generally in the I control have room? No
1: idea how many people are in the Kennedy control room. Well, prob-
0: what? Like probably dozens though. I would, I would
1: guess, see. yeah, dozens. So Maybe there's many people. And I don't know if they have, if they have back rooms in Kennedy or not. I would guess they probably have back rooms. I don't know. I don't really know how Kennedy operates.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, another one that David Fisher and I talked about a few weeks ago that he didn't know much about, which is interesting. And I can't seem to find a ton of information about it anywhere else, um, which is the the necktie cutting. Yeah. Uh, do you know anything about that?
1: I, I had never heard of it until I listened to the podcast episode with David Fisher. I, I had never heard of this. And I I tried to do some Googling as well, and all I found was like a sentence or two shout out in some articles that say, hey, you know, they cut these neckties of the, of the rookies, so the rookie Mm -hmm. instructors and and engineers in the room.
0: But that is the extent of my knowledge on that as well. Yeah, this is one that seems to be sort of, um, I don't, I don't want to say hidden, but there doesn't seem to be much information on it. Yeah, maybe you'll learn more about this actually as you spend more time in NASA and around launches. Maybe this is all Kennedy stuff though. So you'll get your neck tie cut one time maybe. I'm
1: never gonna be in the in the launch room.
0: You don't know. Yeah, dude, I'm in, I'm in Houston. We don't we don't launch tanks here. You don't know though. That's the thing. I I take you guns. don't know about your own life. I don't, know. Light, I don't okay? know.
1: It's funny though. It's every time I hear about this, it makes me think of Rice because um, in Valhalla, which is the the pub the grad student pub on campus. Um, the walls are plastered with neckties. Uh, Cause if you, if you walk into Valhalla with a necktie, they cut it off because you're not supposed to dress formal in Valhalla, you know, it's a place to hang out and, and mm-hmm. relax. Um, but what you do after you successfully defend your PhD thesis is you immediately go straight to Valhalla wearing your suit and they cut off your necktie and then they put it up on the wall with a little piece of tape that has your name and the date that you, uh, that you defended your thesis it always, it always makes me it makes me think of that.
0: Well, that might be very that might be related to this then. Not the, not the not the not the rice Valhalla relationship, but I mean the the symbolism. Yeah. You know, it might be a way to to tell the flight director that, or the launch director that um you can relax, like you've, like you've made it, you know. Yeah. yeah. You can you can you can relax now. Everything yeah. has worked out. Yeah. No, that's that might literally be the the symbolism there. Yeah. Not that we know. I'll, I'll try to ask someone who's, who who knows, but it doesn't seem anyone does. Even the smartest historians out there. <laughs> so anyway, you work at Johnson Space Center, right? Yes. In Houston. Yes. And so is there any rituals that you see happening there that you find to be really interesting?
1: Yeah, so um, there's, there's flowers that show up in Mission Control whenever there's a human launch – um, and these flowers started showing up. And again, Fisher would, Fisher would know this and I, sh- I should know this. It, it was either after Apollo 1 or Apollo 13. I want to say it was Apollo 13. There's this family, just some family that, that, bought flowers to send to mission control. Uh, and it became this tradition. So every time there's a human, a human space flight, mm-hmm. they, uh, they send these mission, these flowers, like a bouquet of flowers to mission control and they put them up. And if you go to, um, yeah, I think it's Apollo 13 because this was this was an anachronism that people were kind of upset about. Um, the uh, Space Center Houston recently restored very well um, the uh, Apollo and space shuttle mission control room, uh, the Moker. Mission operations control center, control room. Mission operations control room at, at Johnson Space Center. And so now you can take a tour, and it's fully restored to look exactly like it did on um, on the day of the first moon landing in 1969. But they have, they actually have the flowers. They have a bouquet of flowers, and people were upset because technically those flowers weren't there during the moon landing. They only started coming after Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but they continue to do that. Now it's been, they haven't bought flowers because we don't fly humans from uh, u.s soil anymore i do think that they might have bought them for um the crew dragon demo one mission mm-hmm. maybe the oft mission because there weren't crew on it but it's going to be a crew vehicle so they, they might have shown up for that um, and if they didn't then they certainly will show up uh, sometime this year when we fly demo two and cft
0: and put um, put american yeah. men and women to the ISS from American Soil. Isn't yeah. that cool? On American rockets. Doesn't that excite you?
1: Yeah, it excites me greatly. I cannot wait for it to happen.
0: Do you, do you, are you glad that like you, this is going to happen in your first two years?
1: Yeah, See, it's, such, it's such a cool time to be starting a career in aerospace and at NASA, especially in flight control. Because, I mean, you've got, yeah, you've got American vehicles, American Soil, and American rockets on this. And it's, it's commercialized. It's commercial crew, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hugely exciting that that's coming on board. And then, of course, we've got um, the Artemis program and the moon landing by 2024. You know, So the, there's just a lot of really cool stuff happening right now. Um,
0: yeah. No, I agree. It's, it's super exciting. Yeah. I I get super excited about it. I yeah. Think it's, I'm not even an aerospace guy. I'm not even really like a space flight guy. Um, I'm more of a theoretical physicist type. But it's it just feels – there's something – it's like – You can feel something special. I don't even know how to describe it. You know, you just feel like you're on the cusp of of watching great. It's like when you watch an amazing, um, uh, I don't know, basketball player, like someone new in the league, or you watch an amazing football player, and you just get this sense of like there's an impending success coming. Yeah. Um, Something,
1: something big is happening. Yes.
0: And it's a cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, something else cool happens at Houston, right? Which is the naming of the astronaut classes.
1: Yeah, so we're the center for human spaceflight, so the astronauts are near and dear to us, and they do a lot of their training in Houston. And so each each astronaut class that comes in gets named by the previous astronaut class. Uh, so like there was a class in the late 90s, early 2000s called the Sardines because they were just uh-huh. a giant class. They had really large classes during the shuttle era, and I bet you Fisher could rattle off every single astronaut class name and why they're named that way um, but the way they get their name is yeah the previous class names them and it's usually just like some little thing so the most recent um, class of astronauts graduated a few weeks ago and they're known as the turtles mm-hmm. and they named them the previous class named them the turtles not because they're slow or you know to be to be mean or anything but it's, it's from that saying that if you see a turtle on a fence post you know it didn't get there by itself right and so it's a reference to all the people that helped to train and support the astronauts in the two years that they've been going through their training flow, and that they've been as astronaut candidates, and finally becoming astronauts yeah. and, and getting to fly. Uh, so I
0: think that's I think that was like a really sweet a sweet name to uh, to pick for them. No, that's that's uh awesome. I don't. This is the impression I get, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I really get the impression that American um, space flight focuses a lot on the ground crew and the people that work to make the astronauts have success. And it seems like the Russians focus a lot on the astronauts themselves. Is that, um, is that the impression you get? You know,
1: I can't really speak for the Russian side. I just don't
0: know much about their process. Um, are they more private in the way that they,
1: yeah, they're definitely more private and, and you know, we use different methods for planning and for, for kind of executing, you know, we don't really see eye to eye on things. And yeah, I, I mean, you know, if I was a Rio, if I was an integration officer, I would probably know more about how the Russians do things and how they feel. But I don't know, but I, I, I can tell you that, uh, NASA, you know, in Houston is, yeah, there's a lot of focus on the ground crew and there's, you know, I mean, the astronauts are, are our colleagues, you know, we're, the, we're there to support them and, and, mm-hmm. They take a lot of time to recognize that we have like, um, oh, this is one I I didn't actually put this in the thing. We can talk about this. Uh, They hang mission plaques, uh, mission control. So after each mission is completed, the astronauts are back on the ground, you know, give them a few months to to recover and, you know, do all their speaking engagements and all that. And then they come back to mission control and everyone who was involved, all the ground uh, crew, the flight controllers who are all involved in that increment. We all pack into mission control and this happened just maybe a month or so ago for increment 50, 58 or 59. Figure forget which one we're kind of behind, but, um, must have been 59. And, um, they hang the, they hang the plaque. So they take the mission mm-hmm. patch, you know, they have the big plaque made up of it and they pick people from the increment who were really, uh, exceptional and, you know, really showed the qualities of flight control and went above and beyond. And so two people get to hold the ladder. And then the one person who's kind of the MVP of the flight control team for that increment gets to hang it mm-hmm. on, uh, on the wall and the astronauts come. And, uh, so we had we a had cosmonaut we had, um, Nick Hague and, uh, there's another astronaut He's uh, I don't know what nation he was from. And then Christina was, and, and um, the astronauts on board, they were video linked in and watching, you know, and talking and. They gave like, you know, thank you speech and all this kind of stuff to the to the ground crew. So yeah, it's another tradition.
0: Yeah. No, it's really cool. And it, um it seems I get I get the impression that early astronauts were well, not, not the impression, they were treated like rock stars, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah,
1: they got Corvettes, you know.
0: Yeah. And it seems to me and and maybe this was true back then though. But it seems to me like now the space program itself is seems more unified. It doesn't it doesn't feel to me like there's any superstars, there's any people that are bigger than the operation itself. That's yeah. the impression I get. Yeah,
1: I mean and that's a big thing that, you know, we push in our training and, and we try to keep in is, is we're a team, you know. Yeah. We're all there to help each other out, we're all gonna have bad days, we're all gonna have good days, you know. And the astronauts are, are people, you know, you, you want to not try to put them on a pedestal and just be like, Oh, they can handle it because they're an astronaut, you know, like they're mm-hmm. exceptional human beings, you know. I mean, one of the, uh, the newest astronauts in the, in the latest class, you know, he's a Navy SEAL. He's a medical doctor. He's an astronaut, you know, like high achieving superstar people, but they're human beings, you know, they have, they have good days, they have bad days. And
0: yeah. No, I, I think it's cool. One of the things that interests me going forward is what sort of things we'll see arise from commercial space flight. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm like interested. I joked, yeah. I joked on the, on the uh, David Fisher podcast about, you know, how we'll develop this ritual of smoking a blunt with Elon Musk <laughs> up, upon safely returning. Um, now
1: that would be a great ritual.
0: And it was sort of a joke, but like, you know, there there's likely Elon, Elon and all the out. astronauts
1: go on Joe Rogan and they just light up a
0: light up a big joint. Yeah. Um. I I yeah, that would be a cool ritual. Um. You know, that's sort of Elon's thing too. That would get so much publicity. Oh, it definitely would. Yeah. Yes. And then the astronauts. And then and then out.
1: you know he would start like Elon Blunts, Musk Blunts, or something. Yeah. Break out into the weed
0: business. And... <laughs> Isn't it amazing that he hasn't done it yet? I feel like yeah, that's kind
1: of surprising. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's a low hanging fruit, but I don't know. He's focused on Mars, I guess. He's growing weed on Mars. Martian weed.
1: That's that's publicity right there.
0: That's the future. Growing weed in space too. Space weed? Oh. Moon. No word. Moon weed. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: these are these are business opportunities.
0: They really are. Yeah. These are
1: ideas. If any if any of you listeners start a start a, a space weed company I think
0: Brendan and I deserve a cut of the profits. Uh, yeah. Can't talk. Me in particular. <laughs> Me in particular. I'll pass some to Nate, but he's doing his thing. He's, he's a NASA shill. He gets paid um, probably tens of millions of dollars a year to shill for them. So. And I wish. So he'll be fine. And it, a fun fact about Nate, he has an unlimited amount of student debt.
1: <laughs> I do. Isn't it will him? never yeah. be
0: paid off. Yeah. Ever. That's, a, that's, one yep. my... <laughs> that's one of your uh fun your fun facts about fun fact shirt. yeah like if you actually when the, when the
1: circus comes to town they actually have me go on stage
0: and that's your act yeah it's just, you just show the numbers i, number
1: I bring up my student, student loan page, and it just keeps going up it's like the national debt you know it just keeps ringing yeah. up and up and up it ah. never stops it never stops
0: <laughs> oh what a scam <laughs> hey how about we get someone to uh forgive all that that'd be nice
1: yeah, I'd be I'd be down with
0: that. You know how much money I will spend on beer that week? <laughs> I will not be sober that week. Do you do you, do you know this is something funny? Do you you would see an a bump like a huge bump in the economy in the weeks following student loan forgiveness? Oh yeah, because all that money yeah you would have people, actually spend in the economy now. Yeah, you would have people spending an extra seven hundred dollars on goods per month instead of yeah. You know, you no, know, that's one of the things about the student loan. That's the that's the argument for forgiving it, right? Is that people in our generation aren't buying houses and aren't buying cars and aren't, you know, investing yeah. in the in the economy in any way. Uh, so yeah, that's the argument for all, all
1: our extra money is we're just trying to throw all the student loans because everyone does that, you know. It's, you get out of school and it's like, well, you want to pay it down as fast as you can so you don't end up paying half of it in interest. Yep. And so everyone comes out of school and in their twenties they're just like, every spare cent I get, you know, I'm just gonna throw to my student loans and try to get that paid off. Right. And then you're not you're not spending you're not living, you're not traveling the world, you know, when you're young and able to do it. You're not yeah. you're investing in the economy. I get off my soapbox though.
0: Yeah. You're so money
1: in my pocket.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Forgive our student loans. Forgive it. Yeah. And then apologize for giving it to us.
1: <laughs> yeah. I want a handwritten note from Trocty saying sorry. <laughs> sorry about all that money.
0: Yes. Uh for those of you who who don't know, which is pretty much ninety nine point nine percent. Um Kent Trocti was the, the president of the school that Nate and I went to many years ago. Um but yeah. No, man, it's it's weird and hopefully it changes. But do you foresee is there any early traditions being started with SpaceX, Boeing, Virgin Galactic?
1: Well, Boeing has this great tradition of uh, not reaching the space station that they started. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm <laughs> oh, wow. joking. Don't fire me. Wow. <laughs> I'm not
0: so far that.
1: I don't know. I'm sure they'd find a reason. Um, you know, I can't think of any, of any, uh, of any traditions. I'm sure SpaceX is going to come up with some. You know, SpaceX has a tradition of, just going wild and crazy at their, at their uh, control center. You know, they did that for the, for the, the Falcon flights.
0: Yeah. You know, they,
1: they, they have a lot of fun and their mission control is like this glass room that all the employees kind of stand around and like watch you do everything. It seems really nerve wracking to be in there. But, um, as, yeah, as for specific traditions, I don't, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what, see what crops up and I'll be interested to see what they keep up with, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. If they if they keep, I'm sure they'll keep some of these older traditions alive, and I wonder if they'll if they'll let go of some. It'll be yeah. interesting. I don't know. It's interesting, but uh, we'll do it. We'll do an updated episode in five years,
0: and we'll let yeah. you guys know. I think that uh, wraps up our conversation, Nate. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, talking about this. This is yeah, Thanks for having it's me. It's cool on. to have it's cool to have your insight. You know, being within the within being a NASA the show. Yeah, you know, yeah. because you see some of these things and. You, you know, you you also have a good filter for like what is potentially bullshit, which is always a good thing to have, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when you hear a certain number, for example, I recently heard that number that a billion animals died in the Australian wildfires, and um, that set off. I'm not a biologist, I'm not an ecologist, I'm not any of that, but that immediately sets off my bullshit filter. I'm like, a billion? Yeah, like are like, you counting? Animals? You know, it's
1: not a billion kangaroos, you know. You count. Yeah. In-
0: like, what Turbites are we saying A the billion animals. animals? Yeah. Uh, interesting fact, I traced that back to the person who originally said it. And the person who originally said it was a e- ecologist working at the University of Sydney, reputable person. But the number he published was – uh, strictly it said affected by, not killed by, affected uh, by. Okay. Um, and then the media t- took that number and they ran with it and they said killed by over and over again. And the way in which that number was was um, produced was by taking the average density of animals in Australia per acre per hectare and then, you know, multiplying that by the number of acres or hectares that have been burned. That to me, I immediately my scientific filter goes, no, 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 that's not appropriate because you're assuming the animals are standing still and they don't try to flee the fire. Right. Uh, Because you're assuming the density stays constant inside of each of the, the the hectares. Yeah. So anyway, that's a number that like when I hear it I'm like, that's bullshit. And that's what scientists should do. You should have gotten this like training to know when bullshit that's is what happening. everyone
1: should do. Especially you know this day and age, everyone should have like their bullshit filter going all the time. I
0: agree, man. I'm with you. But every okay time,
1: every time you know your uncle shares something on Facebook, go, you know, wait a minute.
0: Yeah. Let me let me check oh, oh, all then. the time. All... <laughs> all the time. Yeah. It's always your (laughs) uncle, too. It's literally always your uncle. All right. It was great talking to you, Nate. Thanks for listening, people.